Welcome to the MCG Pediatric Podcast. This is Rebecca Yang, and I am a pediatrician here at the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. This is the first of a two-part series to discuss the diagnosis and management of sleep disorders in the pediatric population. I am joined by Dr. Katie Mackey, who specializes in pediatric sleep medicine. Welcome, Dr. Mackey. Thanks. It's great to be here. Sleep plays an important role in the growth and development of children. Because sleep is considered an essential part of our lives, we think of sleep as something that should happen naturally or easily. But there's a growing amount of research on sleep that shows that sleep is actually a very complex process. And sleep-related problems are definitely a concern that comes up often during a pediatric clinic visit. That's right. There's a high prevalence of sleep problems throughout childhood and adolescence, with 25 to 50% of preschoolers and up to 40% of adolescents experiencing sleep-related problems. Wow, those statistics are pretty high. So before we begin our discussion on specific sleep disorders, I do want to clarify for the audience, how much sleep does a child need? That depends on the age. Sleep during early months of infancy occurs around the clock, with the sleep-wake cycle determined by the need to feed, to change diapers, and to be nurtured. Usually by six months old, nighttime feeds can be eliminated, and infants will sleep longer periods through the night with intermittent naps during the day. Nap time decreases in both frequency and duration as the infant gets older. Toddlers and preschoolers typically need about 11 to 14 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. After five years of age, a nap is usually not necessary. Children aged 6 to 13 need about 9 to 11 hours of sleep, and about 8 to 10 hours of sleep is ideal for teenagers ages 14 to 17. Just a note that these are averages for parental guidance. That's right. There's a high degree of variability across each developmental period during childhood. But this is at least a good ballpark number to provide to parents as guidance. So now that we have a basic idea of appropriate sleep, let's talk about sleep disorders in children. Sleep loss and sleep disorders are common issues in modern society across all age groups, with very negative consequences on our physiological, cognitive, and emotional functioning. Insomnia simply refers to difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep, and it can be primary or secondary to other medical conditions or mental health disorders. For children with neurodevelopmental and psychiatric disorders, insomnia is prevalent as high as 80%. Insomnia can be short-term and related to a stressful event such as a hospitalization, or it can be a chronic issue, which is what we'll be focusing on today. Sleep disorders in children can cause a lot of stress for caregivers and families, so it's important to identify sleep-related issues to prevent disruption of normal development, health, and well-being of our patients. Let's dive into some clinical cases that will help us better understand sleep disorders. The first case is a 17-year-old girl who comes to clinic complaining that she feels exhausted during the day. She is having a hard time concentrating during class and often dozes off. She is worried that her grades are beginning to fall. On most days of the week, she works at a local pizza restaurant after school, and on other days when she is not working, she'll come home and take a nap until dinner time. She drinks a cup of coffee in order to stay awake to complete her homework in the evening. She gets into bed around 11.30 p.m., but doesn't feel sleepy and spends the rest of the night texting her friends until she finally does fall asleep. Her alarm goes off at 5.30 a.m. She complains that she never feels rested. 
This is a patient who presents with excessive daytime sleepiness and difficulty falling asleep at bedtime. This is a common scenario for teenagers who are very busy with school, extracurricular activities, and social life. Many teenagers struggle to balance all of their daily activities with their need for sleep. It's normal for teenagers to have a shift in their circadian rhythm to a later sleep and wake time, but this does not always fit into their early school start time. The case you just described is a classic case of poor sleep hygiene, which is the most common cause of difficulty initiating and maintaining sleep. We always hear about sleep hygiene, but what does that exactly mean? Sleep hygiene refers to one's sleep habits. Poor sleep hygiene is associated with sources of increased arousal or with poor sleep organization. Sources of increased arousal include caffeine intake, evening screen time, rough play at bedtime, bright lights and noise, which can be from other siblings, other parts of the house, or outside. Can you elaborate on what you mean by sleep organization? This simply refers to the importance of a regular sleep schedule. Examples that cause poor sleep organization include napping late in the day, an inconsistent bedtime routine, and excessive time in bed compared to time asleep. These can all affect a person's sleep hygiene. That's interesting. So how do we get these patients back on track? First of all, a good detailed sleep history will help identify the cause and any contributing factors. Treatment includes addressing these factors and working with both the family and patient on developing an appropriate sleep schedule. What's your recommendation for an ideal sleep schedule? It's important to emphasize both daytime as well as bedtime routines and habits. For daytime habits, establish a morning routine with a consistent wake time. Make sure there's an abundant source of light during the day and encourage our patients to exercise in the early afternoon. For nighttime habits, use the bedroom for sleep only if possible. Limit or eliminate caffeine, especially later in the day. For older children, avoid naps or limit the length of time of naps to less than 20 minutes. Make sure the nap also does not start too late in the day, which may decrease sleep pressure at bedtime, and work towards removing screen time. Speaking of removing screen time, this is more and more challenging as we become more reliant on digital devices, but it's clear that the extra stimulation before bedtime is really taking a toll on sleep. Do you have any tips that we can provide parents on removing screen time before bed? Parents might need to do this in stages. For example, decrease the volume or place a timer on the TV if they're unable or unwilling to eliminate the screen entirely at bedtime. Help the family identify calming and easy activities prior to bedtime as alternatives. Great discussion so far. Let's move on to the next case. A parent brings in her five-year-old son concerned that he has a hard time sleeping at night. She is worried because he seems tired during the day and now the school is calling complaining of behavioral problems. Bedtime is around 8 p.m., but every night he fusses about going to bed and will walk into his parents' bedroom several times a night with some type of excuse not to go to bed, such as requesting a drink of water or crying because he's scared of the dark. Mom usually has to lay down next to him in his bed, and it takes about another 30 minutes for him to fall asleep. It's a struggle to wake him up for school, and he's always very grumpy in the morning. This is a good example of behavioral insomnia of childhood. Behavioral insomnia can involve sleep onset associations or poor limit setting by parents. Sleep onset associations refer to conditions the child learns to need in order to fall asleep. This can include rocking or feeding for the infant, parents' presence, or TV for the older child. So how do you manage these kids? Again, it's important to establish a sleep schedule which includes a consistent bedtime and routine. 
For infants, discontinue nighttime feeds if they're more than six months old. Put the child to bed drowsy but still awake. For older children, it may be helpful to use a reward program to help them learn to fall asleep on their own. Evaluate for any daytime sleep habits that may also be affecting the child's ability to fall asleep, such as napping too late in the day. Of course, the child should avoid caffeine. You can also implement an extinction or a graduated extinction program for sleep training. Could you elaborate more on what you mean by an extinction program? Pure extinction is the complete withdrawal of the reinforcer, which is usually the parent. The child is repeatedly ignored or brought back to their bed with no interaction from the parent. This type of method is often stressful for parents, children, and other family members in the household. There's often a high failure rate for this method. In contrast, graduated extinction refers to the incremental withdrawal of parental bedtime involvement. There's a gradual exit from the bedside and bedroom. You may even implement graduated check-ins that are brief and non-stimulating. This is such an important behavior that needs to be addressed promptly since there's a high risk that it may become a chronic problem. In one study, 84% of children ages 15 months old to 4 years old with bedtime struggles continued to have sleep disturbance at the 3-year follow-up. Yes, I can see how it can be a continual cycle. What other advice can we give to parents? It's important to help the parent identify the larger goal as well as identify reachable smaller goals. Work on what is important to the family dynamics. It's also important that parents stick with their bedtime rules and ignore complaints or protests about bedtime and be very consistent. For example, if it is their goal for the child to sleep in his or her own room, they should always return the child to their own bed rather than allowing occasional co-sleeping. What's a good example of a bedtime routine? Bedtime routines should last 20 to 45 minutes. Wow, that seems like a long time. So do you mean I can't just put my kid in bed and expect him to go to sleep right away? I wish. No, it's important to realize that kids and adults too need a little time to wind down and get ready for sleep. The routine should include soothing activities rather than high energy activities. The final activities, such as reading stories, should be a preferred one to motivate compliance with prior activities, such as brushing teeth. A chart of the bedtime routine may also be helpful for the child to visualize the necessary steps. Positive reinforcement is always important. Agree. Positive reinforcement is an effective way to encourage and motivate the child to stick to the bedtime routine. So you mentioned using a reward system earlier. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Reward systems work well for many kids if implemented correctly. If a parent does implement a reward system, they must set appropriate behavioral goals and rewards based on the age of the child. The timing of the reward should also be age appropriate. For example, younger children often need a more immediate reward, such as a small prize from a grab bag, whereas older children can work towards a larger reward by earning stickers or tokens. This is all really good advice. Let's move on to our next case. A 15-year-old boy comes to clinic with complaints of daytime sleepiness. He is falling asleep in class and his grades are poor. He usually gets home from school around 3 p.m. and takes a nap. He gets up for dinner and attempts to get into bed by 9 p.m. He complains that he feels like he can't fall asleep and usually gets up and plays video games. Around midnight, he will attempt to go to sleep again and eventually falls asleep by 2 a.m. He sleeps well until his alarm goes off at 6 a.m. for school, but he still has a hard time getting out of bed in the morning and he usually misses the bus. On the weekends, he stays up until 2 a.m. and will sleep until noon the next day. This is a typical case for delayed sleep phase syndrome, which refers to significant, persistent, and intractable shift in the sleep-wake schedule that interferes with daily life. 
This is most common in the adolescent age group and can often result in both academic and behavior problems. Teens will complain of difficulty falling asleep until very late, often in the early morning hours, and extreme difficulty waking in the morning, even with desired activities. These patients will cope by taking long afternoon naps or extending sleep on weekends or days off from school. How do you differentiate this from inadequate sleep hygiene? Delayed sleep phase syndrome is an intrinsic abnormality in circadian rhythm. It's associated with a delay in nocturnal melatonin secretion. There may even be a genetic component. Teenagers normally develop an intrinsic evening preference with a physiologic delay in sleep time and become night owls. During adolescence, there are also changes in schedule demands such as homework, extracurricular activities, early school start times, which may exacerbate the problem. So back to our case about the teenager, it appears that although he complains of having a hard time falling asleep, he's doing a lot of stimulating activities around bedtime, such as playing video games. As we discussed before, this extra screen time can really affect how well a person sleeps. I also noticed that once he is asleep, he sleeps pretty well. Great observations. This is really typical of delayed sleep phase syndrome. The teen can sleep well at their desired bedtime, but has a hard time falling asleep earlier. Managing this type of sleep disorder can be challenging. The primary goal is to shift the sleep-wake schedule to an earlier time. A secondary goal is, of course, to maintain the new schedule. It's important to balance the need for adequate sleep with lifestyle considerations. Any psychological and family issues also need to be addressed appropriately. Successful treatment does require a motivated patient and family. So how do we counsel families to shift the child's sleep-wake schedule? The approach depends on how far the sleep schedule has shifted from the desired bedtime. Phase advancement is used when the difference between the current sleep time and the goal sleep time is less than three hours. Bedtime and wake time are shifted earlier by approximately 15 minutes per day, starting with the current sleep time. Morning wake time should be set at the desired time to get up for school. These patients should avoid caffeine and daytime napping. Bright light during the day and dim light in the evening can also be helpful. What about when the child is going to sleep more than three hours later than the goal bedtime? In these cases, we would use phase delay. This means delaying bedtime and wake time by two to three hours daily until the goal bedtime is reached. The new schedule is usually accomplished within one to two weeks. This approach requires close supervision by the parent to be effective. It should be done while out of school if possible. How do we keep patients from drifting back to their old habits? This can be challenging, and relapse is common. It is important to remind families to stick to the goal schedule. Occasional late nights, however, may be okay a few months after the new schedule is firmly entrenched. But remember that one bad weekend or vacation can undo all the progress that has been accomplished. Parents should avoid allowing the child to sleep in more than one to two hours later than their usual weekday wake time. Okay, let's move on to another case. A 13-year-old girl complains that she can't fall asleep at night. She was a good sleeper until age 7 years old, but that was before her parents divorced. Ever since then, she's had a hard time falling asleep at night. She'll usually get in bed by 9 p.m., but will lay there for several hours. She thinks and worries about school, her friends, and what to wear in the morning. She also checks her phone to see what time it is throughout the night. She is frustrated that she can't sleep and is very tired when her alarm goes off at 6 a.m. for school. This case represents chronic insomnia. These kids complain of difficulty falling asleep, difficulty maintaining sleep, and early morning awakenings. They have learned sleep-preventing behaviors such as 
excessive daytime worrying about being unable to sleep well, trying too hard to fall asleep at bedtime, and watching the clock. They also tend to have increased muscle tension and agitation at bedtime. The result is daytime sleepiness and decreased daytime functioning. Grades may suffer, and there may be changes in mood and decreased sense of well-being. The child may continually think to themselves, I will never be able to fall asleep tonight. Chronic insomnia seems to have a lot of similar features of the disorders we talked about earlier. Are there any specific features that characterize this more than the others? Many patients with chronic insomnia may have certain personality traits, such as hyperarousal, obsessional thinking style, and repression of emotions. Don't forget about medical and psychological conditions, including chronic illness, anxiety, and depression. There's also a female predominance. It's more likely based on learned maladaptive sleep habits, although there certainly can be a genetic contribution in some cases. That's really interesting. Well, it's already time to wrap up today's episode. So we went over several sleep disorders commonly found in the pediatric population. To summarize, let's go through each of them. First, we discussed poor sleep hygiene, which is the most common cause of difficulty initiating and maintaining sleep and related to poor sleep habits and schedule. Behavioral insomnia of childhood involves conditions that the child has learned to need in order to fall asleep and can be associated with poor limit settings by the parents. This is best treated by establishing a sleep schedule with a consistent bedtime and routine. Delayed sleep phase syndrome refers to a significant, persistent, and intractable shift in the sleep-wake schedule that interferes with daily life. This is most common in the adolescent age group and can often result in both academic and behavioral problems. Chronic insomnia in childhood refers to a child having difficulty falling asleep, difficulty maintaining sleep, and frequent awakenings. There are associated learned maladaptive sleep habits in addition to possible genetic contributions. So I've learned today that sleep really is a very complex process. The amount of sleep a child needs is really based on their developmental stage, but any problem with sleep can greatly impact a person's physical, emotional, and cognitive health. Sleep disorders in children and adolescents are likely underdiagnosed. So it's important as a healthcare provider to ask questions regarding sleep-related issues, especially during the routine health exam. We will continue our discussion with a focus on treatment options for pediatric sleep disorders during our next episode. Thanks again, Dr. Mackey, for our discussion today. It was great being here. I'm looking forward to the next episode. That's it for today's episode. An additional thanks to Dr. Lisa Leggio and Dr. Robert Pendergrass, who contributed to today's discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you could email us at mcgpediatricpodcast at augusta.edu. Remember that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any particular patient. Clinical finet cases presented are based on hypothetical patient scenarios. We look forward to speaking to you on our next episode of the NCG Pediatric Podcast.